Hey everybody, welcome to the ABC Film Podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm Andrew. And I'm Cameron. Today we are doing a Ridley Scott special. That's because this summer he had a new movie come out. What was that movie? It was a movie, another movie in his series of alien films, which is uh, a larger series of many alien films that he had nothing to do with as well. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to move into uh, talking about some of his individual films over the years, go through sort of the eras, the different eras of Ridley Scott. Uh, so, Cameron, why don't you get us started with a, a little <laughs> recap of Alien? <laughs> I, uh, I don't have a recap for this one. I just figured it was kind of like an, 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 <laughs> everyone understands you, that you, you, this, this is Alien Covenant. So this is uh, happening after Prometheus, but before the first Alien. So uh, assuming that if you have any interest at all in these films, that you probably have familiarity with the, with the world. And why describe it? This is actually true and gets to some of the problem I had with the film. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, well, I, I mean, if we're going to launch right into it, then I think uh, if well, we were talk if we were talking about Prometheus, I feel like uh, we would need one of your convoluted uh, descriptors because that one, to me, <laughs> I felt like was set up in such a well convoluted way and and was was uh, quite boring. I think compared to this one, which I feel like you know it does have some convolution to it, but it kind of jumps us right into some action and keeps that going there's at least a pulse to this one which i don't think prometheus had at all i would agree, so, I would agree with that i would agree with that um i think my biggest problem was that i though i saw prometheus i don't i realized watching this one i could barely remember anything about it i didn't remember shit like i, yes. re I remember that machine <laughs> that she cut the alien out of her you know and i remember them landing on that planet but i like I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember all the stuff with those other the, the the beings that lived on that planet. Like I didn't really remember much of that at all. So I just found myself through this one, like having not brushed up on Prometheus. It was a little difficult once we got like halfway through the movie when when you know some of the plot things and their flashbacks. Like I was sort of out of the movie trying to remember, wait, now what happened? When did this happen? How How is this character related to that? You know, I couldn't, I was just very confused. And so I felt like as a standalone movie, it, I, I was kind of not appreciating it because, I, I mean, I know it's supposed to be part of a series, but I wanted to be able to enjoy it as it was, and I wasn't. Cause You're I talking about out of Prometheus? It. No, no, I'm, yeah. talking, I'm talking about Alien Covenant. Like, I, oh. I, I found myself out of the movie trying to remember what the hell happened in Prometheus to make this make sense. I mean, like, uh, I got the basics of what was happening, but it... Uh, it I think that's all you needed, though. I mean, I thought that's what actually worked about it, is that I don't think you... I think maybe you were overthinking it. I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I, I would have thought the same thing, but mm -hmm. I, there was some... There was, like, this prologue mini thing that was put out that's, like, eight minutes that somebody tipped me off to to watch... Just that was the best part of the movie, and that wasn't even just movie. in case you slept through Prometheus or forgot oh. about it, like you like. Oh you no, did. I didn't see. And that. I'm saying I'm it was like a no. It was like a, a little. It was like a little eight minute thing that was that was sort of a, like a recap plus introducing some of these new people. Oh, I thought you were talking like, that that was I on happened, YouTube or something. Yeah, and I happened. Somebody tipped me off to it, and I happened to watch it um, before that day before, and it kind of caught me up to speed. But uh, truthfully, like I, it didn't even do that much because. I felt like at least this one, like I said, sort of thrusts you into it, and I, I think you can figure it out as you go along. Um, when you say your favorite part was the prologue, you mean the actual scene in the beginning of the film between 
Fastbender and, no, and Guy no, Pierce? No, 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 uh, not at all. There was actually when when one of the first like when they were releasing the very first teaser trailer, they also released and it was on the Apple trailers app. Um, they released like an eight minute scene of the crew just yes. hanging out. Yes, that's it. That's what I saw. Same. Yeah, and like I and that was not in the movie. Um, and I would have enjoyed that in the movie, I think. more like that To me, that was the best scene in the whole movie, and it wasn't even in the film. Right. Okay. <laughs> and it wasn't even in the movie. No, yeah, exactly. I see. Okay. Because it, it dealt with, I mean, it was sort of like character development a little bit. Like, you got to see these people live, like, in, the, you know, they're on deck of this ship, and they're just interacting. And, like, I appreciated, like, getting to know them a little bit better. Because in this, because as Andrew said, this one kind of starts, I mean, after the prologue, the action starts and you just go, 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 which works to a degree. But I, I, I did like having seen that eight minute clip where I got to sort of know who these people were beforehand. Mm. Right. Oh, I see. Well, OK, so I guess what we can tell listeners is that like sort of the plot of this particular alien movie is that this particular ship that's going to get in, land in the wrong place and get into mayhem with the aliens or whatever. Um, it's a crew of people that are, are they're planning to go to this planet and be like a commune, basically, and, and reinvent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, colony to re-inhabit another place and, and whatnot. And so it's it's a ship of couples, of uh, married couples. And so that's where we get our, the you know, our particular group of, of people. And, it, like, I think what was maybe more relatable about this movie is that there were echoes of the first movie in terms of, I mean, this right. was kind of the blue-collar yeah. crew again, yeah. like you mm-hmm. get in the first movie and whatnot. Um and so there is that kind of shorthand that's in this movie that Prometheus felt like it had to deal more in a mythic kind of, mm-hmm. you know, setting up some big large thing. Whereas this is sort of like, okay, we're almost to the point where we meet Ripley, so it's less convoluted as far yeah. as what we need to explain to, to get uh-huh. to that point kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think so. that, uh, yeah, and and. and I like that aspect of it, and what didn't work for me as much was when they had to bring in those bigger mythic ideas, like the ideas right. behind uh, who's God and who's not, who's a creator and not a creator, and who's responsible for. Like that stuff just rang hollow to me and didn't really connect with me. As far as mm-hmm. when when you're dealing with the uh, the the android characters, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, we Walter, are Michael Fassbender, yeah, yeah. Walter and mm-hmm. David, I guess are their names, um, mm-hmm. and and that was less. Uh, that's when I just sort of rolled my eyes because I was like, let's just have the action because I like that and that's what works. <laughs> and and with these, this the grander ideas felt a little, you know, pedantic. Tacton. Yeah, just I, I mean, to, to that to that point though, there, I guess what what the ultimately the thing that makes that work, and while we can debate whether or not that works, and I I think it works more to an extent than you do, but I also think you have a point. Um, the casting of Michael Fassbender in that is like he's at least compelling enough to he's make a great that actor, yeah. to make that through line work, mm. like for what, at whatever level that it needs to work. I think even even at the surface. Now, once it gets too mythical and and all that you know stuff, you're right. I think it sort of loses it. But I feel like he at least holds it together enough to where it's interesting enough to not check out completely. And I felt like. <laughs> 
Prometheus, I remember the th strongly just checking out during that one, and I don't feel like I did during this one. Like, I at least, even even the stuff like that that didn't interest me as much, I felt like at least I, I was with it coming along. And, you know, I guess going into it, I'd, I'd heard, you know, Pang said it was more return to form, and so I think you're right, Cameron, like, what make what makes this one work is that there are, you know, there are certain formulaic things that that he trusted and kind of kept and that that I think made it at least an entertaining solid like enjoyable summer film rather than a chore which I felt Prometheus was well and like there are things um like for instance Billy Crudup I think is actually quite good in the movie um because he plays this sort of um super religious crew member who becomes early on uh, the captain of the the crew and whatnot and so he's kind of this um, he's forced into the role yeah he's forced into the role and he's feeling like nobody really wants to listen to him and and whatnot um and he really brings a nice psychology and depth to his work in the, in the character, but there uh, is a situation where he um, uh, is talking with the one of Michael Fassbender's <laughs> androids, uh -huh. and he's actually the that android um, has nefarious means going on, uh, and so he talks him into coming into this room and whatnot. And that whole scene it works on a level that of dramatic irony for us because we know okay we know what the story is like when we see these pods and these eggs yeah. or whatever, but Billy Crudup doesn't. You know this character right. doesn't, and so like. Like on that level, yeah, that was kind of fun. I mean, they had a like little that bit the of audience is ahead of it. You fun mean? with that? that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, this one definitely had more fun to it than Prometheus did. Um, you know, I, I think also one thing that that I, I guess because of the storyline being married couples or whatever, there was a nice equal balance of sort of male energy and female energy in this one. I felt like like there was a good mix of. I mean, uh, setting aside the fact that, like, Ripley is the female, like, she is sort of the, to me, the, the character that embodies this whole series, but, like, most of it's, like, most of these types of films are, like, a bunch of dudes, and then you get sort of the throwaway female, and I felt like this one had a nice balance between between that, you know, I, well, and, I and, and a shout-out, and a shout-out to Danny McBride, who I also felt brought a really good fun energy to it and i mean he's basically himself but it's i i always enjoy him so i i thought like it, it worked well down sure but it worked well in the same way that like bill paxton did in, in one of the earlier ones and like you know that sort of that that's sort of like you said blue collar characters just kind of along for the ride but there was a little bit of depth to him too and i felt like you know it really worked and it was nice to see that character be I, as soon as I saw that he was in the movie, I thought, okay, he's going to die a fucking horrible, gruesome death <laughs> in this thing, like, somewhere. And it was nice to see that he lasted for yeah. most of the film. So, uh, without, without giving you... He la he, he's around for a lot of it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... I, well, uh, <clears throat> what were we going to say, Cameron? No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, as listening to you guys, like, uh, or listening to us re-talk re about the film... Um, I mean, like it really, like I really did. I did like the Billy Crudup stuff and that conflict of his inner conflict of being a leader and being, you know, different than these other people and with his wife and and I liked all the crew interaction and I think I, I mean I, I think I liked that so much. I wanted more of that and I wanted less of 
having to fill in the stuff from Prometheus, which I'm just reiterating what I already said, but it's just, this is just confirming it, listening to you guys. Like, I did like the colorful cast of characters and their interactions and their dynamics and then them having to deal with this, uh, you know, this outside force that's killing them. Uh, that, that was enough for me. You know, and and the other well, stuff. I know, but I feel like I, I feel like you. That's I, I mean, I'm not. I try not to argue with you on this, but I feel you like can. you think it's more important than it was. Like I think you you trying to rem- wrap Except- your mind around Prometheus and the myths and all these things was is more important than I think it actually was to enjoying this film. I disagree. Like, I mean, I disagree because the fact that the movie starts with that scene with Guy Pierce and uh, Michael Fassbender as one of the androids and then so much of the rest of the film is one of the androids doing androids doing their thing and then it ends with them doing their thing as well like i feel like that philosophical bent of of who is a creator and all that kind of thing that i could have done without so much of because it didn't do anything for me so that 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 go ahead no, I understand that. I mean, I think that like if you if you look back again and again, it's it's sort of impossible not to compare these movies to the first two, which are still yeah. the best movies out of the series and whatnot. But to think about how I think some of those kinds of questions, you know, perhaps have been debated by people who love the series and whatever, and that maybe some of that stuff is coming from from. Um, feeling beholden to respond to some of that versus where like if you were watching the the first movie um i think you could have more of the pure experience of what you wanted out of this movie brennan but then like that people could have attached some of those questions to that movie but it wasn't so much that the movie felt like it had to raise those questions or deal with those questions if, if that makes sense that, yeah like, yeah like i think you're, and I think you're exactly where, right like yeah. I, I don't see a need to actually explain it all like what one of the great right. one of the things that made the right. first couple so great is that they didn't explain everything like it's just sort of like we as viewers right. and the people in the film right. are experiencing this thing for the first time and you know you just know what you figure out and then you can imagine what the backstory might be i mean i guess i guess the the sh- the, the fleshing out of the backstory here didn't really add anything to it kind of like the prequels to star wars fleshing all that out didn't really add much to it you know what i mean yeah. right yeah but I guess I mean, the, you know, I guess they have to find some way to continue the, the <laughs> right. series. But yeah. I think that I mean the big things for me that that I responded to was I could recognize that the movie was more successful than Prometheus at giving us a group of people that we could at least somewhat latch on to for mm-hmm. the experience for and whatnot. Sure. But at the same time, it was still like I missed the scruffiness of alien and i miss the fact that it was just so there was something and again i think it's just one of those things where it's almost like if you kind of don't know exactly what you're doing at the time then you can maybe come up with the thing that becomes the classic but Mm -hmm. like there's something just off the cuff about those performances in that movie and this still feels a little too calculated to be able to match up with um the greatness of of that original where and there's just still something i i feel like we got to know those people somehow more than we get to know these people before before the mayhem happens and and i mean like on the one hand like there are a couple of deaths that happen i mean the first ones that happen 
are sort of surprising in terms of how they come about, you know, and mm. so you kind of think, oh, well, oh, they did a good right. job, you know, as far as like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was just sort of like uh, on a, on a, character level it was sort of like well i didn't really care and yeah. then the that leads into a larger thing where it's like because uh ripley is is who we latch on to in the in the um first series of the movie we i felt myself at least wanting a Ripley figure to latch onto in these movies. And I think like they try to make Nomi repost that figure in Prometheus does it kind of works in, in the scene where she, you know, has to extract the alien from herself. Yeah. Uh, that was the best scene in that. Movie. <laughs> that was, that was. But, <laughs> and in this movie, it feels like it's, meant to be Catherine Waterston. Right. But the thing about it is she doesn't have enough to do. And as an actress, for me in this movie, there wasn't any kind of charisma involved. And I thought like on the one hand, I guess by the end of the movie, seeing where the movie goes and kind of understanding where the movie needs to get to in order for us to then be able to move in to the Ripley era. Like in a way there, there, none of the characters can be as strong and as charismatic as Ripley because obviously they don't make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so they, so in a way, like she, like Ripley sort of, spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> well, one, one, one person makes it. Well, <laughs> you, what the readers can't see is the air quotes. That <laughs> and a few, <laughs> and a few embryos. <laughs> but you know, well, so like, like, on the one level there, I had that disappointment, but on the other level, then I was like, well, I guess I kind of get it. I like maybe it felt like maybe that was purposeful as opposed to we just didn't have the the actors that we needed or we didn't have the the writing for the characters that we needed. You know, it was like, no, no, this is purposeful because we have to get to this. Place. Yeah, I mean, they definitely painted themselves. I mean, like there is like you have to you can't change how the first alien movie went, you know, so you can't have you have to end each of these in a way that still allows for that. So I guess, yeah, maybe that does limit what you can do. Um, there was, <laughs> like, there there were little touches, like, the thing, when there, um, some of the various uh, people are exploring this planet, um, and one of, the, the, one of them uh, gets close to these buds on the ground, and uh, they open up and... I don't, he blows on them or something, and like the like the dander or whatever from the buds like go up and go into his ear. Oh, it becomes the the smoke monster from Lost. Oh, well, I, <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah. Yes. And, and we follow it into his ear and all that kind of thing. That felt to me, I don't know about you guys, that felt a little out of character with the rest of the movie yes. or the rest of the series. Like we never yeah. are like following that sort of thing or in that sort of way. And I think it took, by taking the mysteriousness out of it, I mean, I feel like it took the mysteriousness out of it so it made it less effective as like, oh God, that guy's, you know, as opposed to, I mean, like in the first movie when when they first um, come upon the pods and the one pod attaches to the guy's face and all things like that, like it's all, you don't know what's going on. You don't actually see what's happening. And this just felt like mm. we're explaining more than we really need to to have an effective film. I mean, I get that well, it could be what fans want to know because, you know, the, the whole world is hashed out in their head and everything like that. But 
to me it just killed the it killed the flow of of a, a thriller you know but wasn't that but i mean the the purpose i guess of that black dust or whatever i mean isn't that then part i mean i could be totally off about this but isn't that part of then what uh fassbender uses to get rid of the the white the the weird people that race of people that gets blown out with the black dust see yeah but i didn't understand any of that so it didn't matter i mean it didn't I mean, I was a little unclear as to what the black dust was in relation to what the aliens were, you know, and the different, there were different types of aliens, it seemed as well, right? Like he was sort of, spoiler alert, sort yeah. of growing different types to find the right kind. Is that right? Did I catch yeah, that right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's like, we're seeing kind of an evolution yeah. of the alien that we come to know, and it's like, it's partially that he needed, like, at first he was mixing, I think, that the aliens were getting mixed with that other alien race or whatever that we met in Prometheus that then okay. they kind of wash away in this movie because they're like, whoops, we shouldn't have introduced that. That's, you know, <laughs> so they just kind of got rid of it right away. But um, but then once he gets these people that are more recognizable to us as far as humans, basically, yeah. uh, that then that mix, mixing with the alien DNA brings us to the particular alien that we that we know and love from the other and movies so but. that so the alien that we know and love is part human is that what we're to understand i think that's what we're getting at yeah no, i think... seem like like he was using <laughs> nomi spoiler alert he was using nomi repasse's uh uh pieces or you know like her dna to mix with uh with these aliens so uh -huh. but i didn't know what and to then think was... of that like it didn't really do anything for me you know i don't know <laughs> Well, I think, like, in general, like, again, it goes back to, like, I guess my just probably nostalgia for things that are less slick in general. And yeah. so I think, like, that whole thing, like, what you're describing of just the experience of, oh, this little dust and we see the CGI thing kind of going yes. up into the nose, mm -hmm. into the ear or whatever. It's like, that's not the world. Like, the world is... is um, grimier and and yeah and more unexplained it's, yeah it's more practical yes <laughs> yes, yes right like the, the effects are practical they're not you know and i think that that's the thing like there's just a slickness which i i am just really bristling against in mm -hmm. contemporary filmmaking overall um digital making i guess yeah. <laughs> that that is just like i'm kind of tired of it it's like uh, i you know right. So, and that was present here and it just kind of feels like, you know, it would have been, I would have been more impressed with this movie if they had said like, you know, we're going to try to make this yeah. under the conditions that we had in 1979, you know, just as mm -hmm. it with was nothing was a novel, but sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely better than Prometheus, but uh, for me, not, I mean, minor amongst the whole, the whole series, the whole series. Yeah. Nothing is ever going to touch alien or aliens. It's let's true. face it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's move on to just our... Uh, our shall shall we jump here. back to the start? Back when things were gritty and fresh for uh, Ridley Scott? Somewhat. Somewhat. <laughs> though um, I was assigned the 70s or 80s Ridley Scott, and I chose... Yes. Well, let's just... Let's set this up. We So Go each of us chose a Ridley Scott film that we... 
of our own choosing that we're about to reveal now. And so but we don't, we were restricted we to don't decades fall, by Andrew. <laughs> yes. So we don't fall into our, our sometimes trap of watching the same thing. And you only have to listen to last week's podcast where Brennan and I both watched married to the mob for Jonathan Demi. Much uh, I decided, yes, I decided that we should break it up amongst decades of his career and, and uh, start with the late seventies and eighties, which, uh, which fell to Brennan, and I chose the 90s for reasons I will reveal in a minute, and Cameron will ha- chose something from the last, I'd say, decade and a half, two decades of of, uh, of his career, which arguably is uh, maybe not as strong as the others, but has the most options. So, yeah, so basically, um, I decided to go with the 80s, because I wanted to go with uh, a film that I hadn't seen before, and one that is kind of a minor uh, one of his, <laughs> I guess. Legend? Um, well, no, I had seen Legend, actually, back, oh, back okay. around the time it came, it came out on video, anyway. Um, so, And I had no desire to, <laughs> to revisit that one. Um, so, no, I chose 1987, Someone to Watch Over Me, uh, oh, which oh. is a... Uh, it's sort of a, it's not really a noir, but it's 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 definitely it's a detective story. It is with Tom Berenger, uh, Mimi, Mimi Rogers, Rogers. I was about to say Driver, Mimi Rogers, and Lorraine Bracco, a, a young Lorraine Bracco, um, and uh, in it, uh, it is essentially Tom Berenger is a new detective assigned to the Upper East Side. Uh, he lives out in Queens with his wife Lorraine Bracco, who was a former cop, and they have a kid. Uh, but anyway, he's first first day on the job. He is assigned to protect um, Mimi Rogers, who plays an upper class, rich. Um, not really sure why she is rich or what she's sort of famous for, but a uh, woman who lives on the east side because she witnessed a murder uh, by a um, sort of not really a mafioso, but just a, a bad dude. And so Tom Berenger is on night duty, uh, staying at her apartment at night uh, to make sure that she is safe. Or if she goes out, he uh, is her escort to make sure that everything is okay. This is this is before Kevin Costner is the bodyguard. May I remind you? Um, um, and so basically, that that is a setup for the film. Um, as it goes on, there are some brushes with the bad guy who who comes up. Um, there are some brushes in the bedroom, and uh, Tom Berenger is tempted to <laughs> stray from his wife, um, and uh, perhaps... You're not going to tell us too much, are you? What's that? You're not uh, going to tell us too much, no, are no, you? No, 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 I'm just saying, these are, these are the things... I know, because Cameron already, I can tell, wants to revisit yeah, it. Yes, yes, He's yes. getting off this podcast um, and watching so, it. So needless to say, there are lots of, lots of things happening in the Upper East Side in the late 80s. <laughs> um, well, there, there's, not, there's not much happening in the Upper East Side these days. Yes, so, uh, yes but I mean, that, one, of the, one of the joys of watching the movie was seeing New York in the late 80s and just, you know, how, yeah. much, how much things have changed. And like them living out in Queens, at one point they go to look at a house and the house is uh, $97,500. And I'm like, man, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but Lorraine Bracco is great. Tom Berenger is great. I've always liked him. Um, uh, I think he, I don't really know why he disappeared in the mid-90s. I mean, he still is in stuff. But I mean, like, he was sort of always up and coming, at least in glor- largely glorified B-movies. And I would say this is a is a B-movie, but like a really... A really good one. I really enjoyed it. Like it, it's pretty simple. The acting's, you know, solid. the The story is just enough, and um, you know, it captures a time and a place and a mood, 
And, um, uh, yeah, it, also, I mean, I think probably the nostalgia of me being a, a, a little kid in the late 80s, like, I was sort of watching it through the eyes of how I would have watched it in 1987, too, like the glamorous life of New York and, you know, d detective and all, all, all that kind of cool stuff. Um, but, the, you know, I got to say the relationships are all pretty strong. And I've never been a gigantic Mimi Rogers fan, but I don't really not like her. And I, I thought she, you know, she pulled this this part off pretty well but Lorraine Bracco and Tom Berenger were great it's worth seeing it for them um and you know it's just a solid a solid movie and it I, I'm not really I'm not going to form a full theory but I do think that Ridley Scott is very good at b-movies you know like I think that he is a, he can make a glorified b-movie really well like he is I'm sort of forming he's a journeyman director and I think the simpler the script, the better the script. He's he does great. It's when he tries to do higherfalutin stuff that, for me, it doesn't always quite work as well. If he doesn't keep it simple, it doesn't work as well for me. When when you say high more highfalutin stuff, you like can you I, give an example? For, yeah, of what you for, mean? for me, other than Prometheus and yeah, yeah. For, for me, I mean, I think personally, like. Gladiator kind of derailed what I liked about mm -hmm. Ridley Scott. Like I didn't enjoy that movie that much. Like I felt it got, it was right. it was okay. But then because I think it had such a critical response, I think that sort of changed. I don't know if it changed his view of himself or anything like that, but it just changed the nature of his work after that. And I don't think it's quite <laughs> recovered. I mean, I do think Black Hawk Down again, kind of a B movie, was really pretty good. And I think he's had some, you know, highlights here and there since then. But I do think Gladiator right. is sort of the end of the solid Ridley Scott era, from my perspective. Well, but I'm open to I, I discuss will, that. What's that? But yeah, I mean, I, I will that. say the thing that the thing that I would agree with you on, and that I feel like Gladiator rung in for him, and then subsequently I've had trouble with, is that there's a there's a level. There seems to be a level of joylessness uh, when he when he got to that point and then kept working. And I guess we'll we'll see if Cameron has any anything to say about that beyond it. But I feel like um, the reason why these earlier movies worked so well, and and I think to what you're saying, it's 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 part of keeping it simple, but it's also part of him having fun with the with genre and like mm -hmm. fun with what like you know like taking a simple story, taking a genre, and like. Actually, I, I feel like enjoying what he's doing. And he does, he is, he can take something simple and make it kind of a really visually interesting thing, too. Yeah. Which I guess will take me to my one, which, um, I mean, truthfully, I, like when I figured we were going to do a Ridley Scott, I, I knew I was going to choose Thelma and Louise as my film. And I was going to create a narrative that got me to choose that one, and neither of you could possibly choose it. So I, that's, <laughs> we, we divided. We divided these decades, but you divided. I, <laughs> right. The one, so when I said the '90s, little did I know he only actually made four fucking films in the '90s. When what I what were they? Can you tell me like, again? Because I don't remember. Yes, it was. Well, it started with Thelma and Louise. Then uh -huh. it went to 1492 Conquest oh, of Paradise. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Maybe he derailed on that one. Oh, and then White Squall, and then GI Jane, and then GI Jane, and then from there it was Gladiator in 2000, and then on and on and on. And so, and and you know, I, I feel like there's a heavy handedness to him as 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 his career goes on. That's what I guess when I say joyless. I mean, it sort of feels that way. Uh -huh. Now, Thelma and Louise. I mean, there's heavy elements to it, but it it it, it is at its core a, a comedy, uh -huh. and and. 
you know, it struck me watching it. I mean, I remembered certain things um, from it, you know, that stuck out to me as funny. But watching it again, like watching the 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 way it's constructed, like it it really is. There's a real sense of fun to it, despite the fact that we're dealing with very heavy a very heavy situation. Yeah. But these these characters are having fun. He's having fun with them. Um, like everyone in it is 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 enjoying being there and it's one of those things that like i felt like as i was watching it this time i felt like oh wow it would it would actually be cool to be on set for this this one like even even the scenes where the 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 idiot men are just trying to figure out like how these these women are outsmarting them and they're all in the same room and they're trying to figure out like just seeing that like you could see how much fun they could be having harvey keitel like everyone and um uh, McDonald, like everybody's having such a good time, and the two of them are obviously so good at its core. But it, it's, it reminded me this time how important the ensemble was. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I read this retrospective that Vanity Fair did it, did on it a couple of years ago. That that talked about it. it was like the twenty year anniversary of it, and it kind of talked to to um, uh, the screenwriters and and to Ridley Scott and uh, Kelly Corey, sorry, is the screenwriter, and you know about the casting process and then like shooting it and everything like that and like it it you know it was actually ki- kind of enjoyable to to even hear it from their voices and like it holds up it it is it is it is arguably I, I actually no I think arguably his best film mm-hmm. it's I think it's the one where you know I think we talked last last time about Jonathan Demi where he sort of peaked um, in that 91 period and you know I, I discovered that I, I recalled that he the film itself did not actually get nominated for Best Picture despite the fact that Ridley Scott got nominated the two actresses got nominated the screenplay won Best Screenplay like and the editing and cinematography and rightfully so all and that the picture did not and then I went back and looked and I was like damn it this was the year of Boys in the Hood. It was the year of Silence of the Lambs. It was the year of uh, um, of JFK. Like there was something going on in the water that year, and I mm. feel like you know. A lot of I mean, looking back, stuff. like yeah, like there's something about these these directors that have been sort of genre career directors somehow peaked at this point. I feel like we could say this. We said the same thing about Demi. I feel like you could say the same thing about Oliver Stone. Like there's, you know, something, something in the Steven water. Steven Spielberg about, made like, hook. Well, I, right. Never right. <laughs> <laughs> was that that year? <laughs> no, that was the year before. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, and, and I, I do feel like one of the things that I, love about doing this particular podcast is the fact that I do get to sometimes go back and enjoy something from it from my from you know my 40 plus years or whatever now that I I visited you know that I knew when I was decades younger and it's like it's it's really seeing it from the side but also experiencing it and remembering what brought me so much delight then like it's it's it was really nice and so i selfishly chose this <laughs> particular way and kept the two of you from being able to see it just for that book. well i mean i i haven't seen it for a number of years but i've seen it several times um and right yeah it sticks out to me as uh, all, all these things you say and it just you talking about it makes me want to uh, revisit it again oh no uh, you, you, know. sh- you should it's it's so good and it it's so well paced and it's moves so well and again it's there's such a joy 
it it looks so good. Like even now, it, mm-hmm. it looks it just looks amazing. And he's not relying on sort of that's the other thing about the gladiator period is I feel like that's when CGI sort of became fashionable. So he yeah. was kind of resting on those laurels rather than like the simple and gorgeous landscapes that he shoots in Thelma and Louise and just the scenes of them driving and the sky and the, the mountains and like all of that stuff. Like I fucking hate the Arkansas and Oklahoma and Texas area. And yet it looks so gorgeous in this film. Yeah. Um, I mean, the key, the key is that the know, char- I think it was shot in San Bernardino, but the characters you know. and actors are so strong in the film that, that, you know, that, ca- right. that, that everything else is just icing on the cake after that. You know? Right. And it is interesting to note that, like, for someone who is perceived, and he is such a actor that's sort of known for machismo in terms of m- many of his films, how, how sensitive and how well he does uh, does work with, uh, with strong women. Thelma Louise, Alien, like, uh, these movies are good genre pictures. <laughs> All right. Undercut me. <laughs> no, no. You're right, you're right, you're right. I, I'm saying there's there's a, like he is actually able to make a film with a feminist message that doesn't feel condescending. Yeah, and, and that's where it comes in with, about him being such a strong journeyman director, you know, especially with, I mean, like a B style movie, you know, and and uh, this was an era when he was still able to able to do that for sure. Ah, oh, Thelma Louise. Kevin, that leads you to talk about his later period, late late, late Scott. Yes, well, you kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I, when I was looking through the 2000s at what I could possibly stand to watch, the <laughs> one thing that I was just kind of interested in seeing, I had seen it one other time and I thought, you know, it made a strong impression on me. So I thought, you know, well, let's just see if it still, you know, would do that. And so I rewatched uh, Black Hawk Down. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. Oh, Uh oh, I hope... Uh-oh, I haven't well. seen it since then. I hope it held up, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I mean, I think for the most part, it does hold up. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it does it does capture you. You know, it does take you in. I mean, it's the story of the Black Hawk Down mission that, you know, was botched uh, Delta Force mission that happened in Mogadishu in 1993. And, um so basically it's a boots on the ground, you know, war film essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it is very effective in that means of, you know, putting you on the battleground and, and with those soldiers. And it does a good job, I think of giving you um, really an, uh, uh, an empathetic experience of, of somewhat, I guess, at least, I mean, I would hate to say of, oh, this is what it's like. I obviously don't know, but a feeling of, of what it must be like to, to be in our military and to deal with something like that, that, that goes haywire. And so there are, you know, losses of life and, and serious injury and things like that, that happen in the movie. And I think like, in terms of, if we think about, uh, it's being perhaps a movie about a crew is similar to how, you know, the, um, this most recent alien film is, I think it does, you know, a much better job of introducing us to the characters. And while we don't get to know anyone in any kind of depth, I think the actors, um, are strong enough at, 
letting us know who these people are that yeah. that we can latch onto them. And there's a shorthand that the actors give yeah, to the movie depth. Yeah, that the- we're, yeah, yeah. I mean, like Tom Sizemore who, you know, is kind of a, a <laughs> potentially a problematic figure in real life. But um, as an actor, I mean, he um, is so excellent in this movie of just, um, he has this real, uh, I don't want to say arrogance, it's not quite that, but it's just kind of this no bullshit demeanor about him where he's just like, look, like, let's get this done. He doesn't suffer fools. You know, he has people on his crew that are much more emotional and broken down than he is, and he just takes it all in stride, and he's like, we got to get this done. At a certain point, he gets uh, a bullet in the neck, and, you know, but he's still going. (laughs) You know, he's like, and he finally is able to make it back to get a little bit of help with that, and then has the option to not go back into the field and just as like, you know, looks, this is what we do. I'm going back out there and there's no kind of hullabaloo about it. So he makes an impression, as does Eric Bana uh, as another kind of badass sort of a guy. Um, what's interesting about it is Josh Hartnett is like the name above uh, the title mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And it's such an ensemble piece. That was really interesting to me to... to I remember or see that like there must have been something about him that kind of helped get the movie made or something. I don't know. I that mean, point. that was the era when he was just like coming, like popping out, right? Like people were really yeah. pushing him on us. Um, and yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was. Yeah, I don't know what it could have been. Well, that was contract that made that happen. <laughs> I like Josh Hartnett. I'm I'm not a hater in that regard. But no. um, yes, but you have your other motives. But I, I mean, what have you seen him in <laughs> that you like? And then, like, what have you seen him? Lately, I mean, he, he's sort of disappeared. Yeah, well, he's been in that he's, show on Showtime. Penny but, Dreadful yeah. is is his most recent thing. Um, I, you know, he just strikes me as someone like as a person. Again, not that I know him, but I think he's somebody that is just about the work and you know doesn't want to be part of all of the hullabaloo that surrounds it, and has been able to have opportunities to work with people like Ridley Scott and Brian De Palma and you know things like that. I mean, I like him very much in The Black Dahlia, even though that movie. I mean, that movie is a real curiosity. I still am kind of always wrestling with that one, but. Um, but he's uh, he's great in the movie, I think, um, and he's very good in this movie. Although he wasn't for me, like in this viewing, the the character or the person who who really stood out, um, you know. But isn't, isn't Ewan McGregor in it too? He is, and he is another character that that does stick out, uh, okay. you know, because he's the guy who, <laughs> at, in the you know early passages of the movie, is kind of complaining because he's been stuck at a desk, and I think uh, I think it was in the Gulf War where it's like basically he was the coffee guy, and okay. so that's his thing is that he's you know gotten really good at making great coffee, but that's basically it because he's been you know stuck at a desk, and so because of circumstances in this movie, he actually does get to get out into the, the field and the way that he handles that is, is, you know, pretty entertaining, I guess you would say. Um, and yet and not out of scope with, with what feels real either, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the circumstances and, and this, the film is sourced from the book that Mark Bowden wrote about the Black Hawk Down incident. Um, and so it has that kind of behind it to to give it gravitas and and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I mean, so there's so many people in this movie. Uh, Hugh Dancy is in this movie. Sam Shepard. Um, 
and a whole other people that I can't even think of yeah, right now. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, I mean, you kind of go, like, oh, uh, Tom Hardy is in it. Um, you know, you kind of go, oh, this person, Orlando Bloom mm-hmm. is in it. Oh. I remember um, it was a big, like, when, when they were casting for that, it was like a bit, it was like every, a who's who of young men. In, uh, in yeah, film. definitely. I mean, it, it definitely is that. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember it being, like, being surprised that it works so well in the sense of, like, it just throws you in it. And like you said, mm-hmm. you don't get, like, any kind of backstory on characters or anything, but there's enough there to, like, keep you in it and keep you involved. Um, I thought that it, in a way, I remember thinking it it sort of built upon and expanded to a full two hours that, you know, the opening 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought yeah. it did it really effectively. I mean, I just remember being so surprised that I that movie worked as, as, as well as it did for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I would say it holds up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. His last hurrah, perhaps. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm kind of looking. Looking through the list here. I mean, you know. I can't. We remember all. What else he did. I well, know. you know, he was just. Just two years ago, he was nominated for The Martian, and we discussed that on this podcast. Yeah. That was okay. It was fine. Uh, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't as. You know, I mean. It, I guess it had more life to it and more humor to it than some of these other sort of joyless ones that I was referring to. But I would say, there's, I would say there's the Martian though. Like, what does that feel? Like it doesn't. This isn't necessarily a bad or a good thing. But does it feel like it has his imprint on it? Like, I don't think. Like, I mean, and maybe maybe you don't need to. Maybe I mean, if he's a journeyman, he does what services a script. Right. I mean, again, I feel like it has. A, you know, when he works best, there's not his imprint. Although, or, or maybe it's that he's. It is his imprint with a, a genre, but um, I, you know, I, I would say it doesn't feel like it's not a Ridley Scott. It feels like it, it's a it, it. The Martian to me feels like a a not Ridley Scott film of the last twenty years. It feels like it sets it's it sets apart. I think from some of the other again heavy handed ones. I think that we're that we're talking about. Uh, there is one in there that's kind of a fun character piece called matchstick men i remember really enjoying from 2003 mm-hmm. um i think i saw that with you brennan if i'm not mistaken yeah i was gonna say you saw, did all three of us in chicago i think all three uh, of us okay. saw yeah. it together yeah. i was there yeah. i was it's there. possible okay well there you yeah, go no, I, I remember being i, I mean, really enjoyed that one. I, I did i mean i remember i was in it but by the end there was something very disappointing about the ending i can't re- i cannot remember yeah, it, I, but i don't I know can, yeah, I just That's sort of one that I thought about revisiting because I remember yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, I would be um, curious to see, and I mean, maybe as a, it would end up being a, a hate watch, even though, but a, a, that one with Russell, a good year or whatever about Russell Crowe, like opening a winery <laughs> in Italy, I, like that I've just seems so things. weird. To I've me. heard good things, but yes, it does feel weird. It does sound kind of weird. I haven't heard good things. I think but maybe I, I watched the first twenty minutes and I was a little like, right. "What is this?" <laughs> and 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 I will say this. I will say this. Like for someone who is, seems to be as prolific as him, with as many in his body of of films, and so many ones that are just sort of not great or kind of or again sort of heavy handed. When they're good, they're great. Like there are some really good ones that are really great, and I feel like what we the why the three of us jumped on board and agreed to see Alien Covenant this time is because I think there was a bit of us all that had hope that there was a sort of return to form for him or a return to something fun about what he does. And I guess tying it back to the very beginning, I felt like 
when it worked, Alien Covenant did have some kind of fun things to it. Um, not nearly, it's not great by any means in terms of his other stuff that's really actually great. But I feel like we've dismissed him, I feel like, in the last 15 years. And especially looking at this list, like, none of us would have wanted to see The Counselor or Slog Through Robin Hood or, you know, Body of Lies or any of these other <laughs> I things, did, right? I like, did slog through The Counselor when it okay, came out. Well, oh, well what, anyway, or Exodus, Gods and Kings. Like, there was something about all these that we were like, oh my god, we would groan and roll our eyes at. But there was something about Alien Covenant that that at least got us intrigued. I think it was a hope for it to be kind of the Ridley Scott that we enjoy. And I feel like it gets it, it gets there at times. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, as a kid growing up, like, Ridley Scott was one of the guys, you know, because he only had a movie come out right. every few years. And so you'd be like, oh, my God, what's his next thing going to be? You know, and so I definitely was tracking that and, like, you know, in retrospect, reading all about Blade Runner or reading all about Alien when I was, you know, 11 or 12. And, you know, wait, Thelma and Louise was like, what's this? He's, he's not doing, like, a, you know, an action movie? Or, I mean, a, a straightforward male action movie. Um, and being blown away by that and, and everything. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, as a young adult when he, uh, you know, as we've said, The Gladiator and beyond, that it's just sort of veered off for me and I haven't really cared and um, so yeah, I mean, I guess you're right because it was a return to his one of his original hits. You know, maybe it was oh, this could be you know an entree back into the 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 grand Ridley Scott of of our mm -hmm. youth. Now, I guess going back a little bit too to this um, thing that you're talking about, Brendan, where you feel like he's stronger, maybe in a B movie kind of element. Where does Blade Runner fall into? Yeah, your you know that's interesting. Thinking? I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, I don't claim for it to be an absolute theory of mine. Um, but <laughs> I mean, in a way, I mean, Blade Blade Runner is a you know, it's a it's a noir. It's a futuristic noir. You know, so so it, in that regard, it kind of say, falls in that world of like Warner Brothers noir, you know, from the you know from the the forties and fifties or something. Like, I mean, obviously, it's much higher budget, and I mean, as I said, it's kind of a glorified B. Like his stuff is sort of glorified B movie. Maybe glorified is the wrong word, but heightened, heightened B movies, mm -hmm. maybe like mm -hmm. B movies at their heart. But he, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps he elevates them with his production value and his precision as a, you know, uh, work with the camera and work with, you know, his scene work and things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. All, all right. right. Well, well, that's, can, uh, can we, can, I guess we can say that all hope is not entirely lost with Ridley Scott. I will continue I to look for what he does next. Right. <laughs> and then decide then whether or not it falls into these hip or <laughs> yes. let's hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. If, it, if it's going to be another alien movie, I'm a little like, come on, don't. Because I, I, I read something about how he had, there were ideas for like several more in the universe of aliens. Well, I feel like I feel like this one sets up one more to connect this one to the Ripley yeah. story, and I feel this is like, like fucking Avatar, you know, and like having seventy sequels for that. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, have we even gotten to one? I don't know. All I right. know that's the thing they keep pushing. There, we, that's for another discussion, another day. Uh, anyway, it's been a, it's been a joy discussing with this guy with you too. Uh, thank you very much, and to our listeners, thank you, and we will talk to you soon. Can't think. Can't sleep. Can't breathe.